Well, hello, Heartland. Nick, thank you for that. You talk about a journey of a lifetime. And that's what it is to be walking with Jesus. And so as a church, we, we want you to know Jesus first in your life. We want to have Jesus first in our lives. And the joy that comes with it because it is, is a journey of a lifetime. And so I want to begin this morning just with a personal story that's taken place in the last six weeks for me. And uh, you know, there's words that we hear that um, we just don't want to hear. And cancer for me is one of those words. And many of you uh, may know my story where I had a, a, an older brother who passed of cancer when we were kids. And, but now for the last 45, 46 years, that word and, and all that can come with it has not directly impacted the circle of my family until five weeks ago. See, I had this spot on my nose and colleagues, my wife just said, hey, you need to get that checked out. And well, my wife, uh, she loves me so much. She scheduled this televisit with a nurse, uh, actually the doctor on Skype uh, on my mobile phone, took a look at my nose and said, hey, we need you to come in and get a biopsy. I said, is it cancerous? And they said, we don't know until we check it out. So uh, I sat in that doctor's office and I, I had that uh, biopsy and I uh, like anyone, I just asked a simple question, is this going to hurt? And the doc said, not at all. Well, she lied. Two weeks later, I get the results back and they said, hey, it's cancerous. The good news is, is we can remove it. It shouldn't be an issue because we caught it early. And so a week later, I'm now having this outpatient surgery and to a new doc, uh, I still had that burning question because the last one, it was just a biopsy. And I said, hey, doc, does it hurt? And without missing a beat, without a pause, she said, absolutely. It's going to hurt like the Dickens and you're going to get black eyes. And uh, you, the matter of fact, they're going to puff up and uh, you won't look desirable for a week. And a matter of fact, you won't feel desirable. Well, she was right. And I actually said to her when she said, it's going to hurt. I said, Doc, I love that you're a straight shooter, but maybe you could have lied just like that other doctor just to put me at ease because my blood pressure was, was out the roof. Well, there's a lot of bad things we don't like to hear in words like cancer that uh, we wish we wouldn't hear or when folks look at my face and say, hey, what happened to your face? Again, another thing you don't want to hear, but we like to hear, hey, well done. So I went back into my next visit, and the doc said, hey, you're healing up well. You heal fast. And I was like, well, I can't really take credit for that, but it's a well done. I'll take it. Uh, then she said, hey, you've been caring for the other parts of your face as we go through this process. Well done. I was like, awesome. I'm two for two. And then she said, hey, it seems like you're not uh, massaging your nose enough to break up some of the scar tissue. And I said, oh, I haven't been real faithful at that. And she said, look, I know you don't like needles and I know you don't like the scalpel, but I'll give you two more weeks. And if you can't correct it five times a day for the next two weeks, then I'm going to have to go in there and correct it for you. And I said, deal. I want to be faithful with that and I'll add it to my regiment in this COVID season. And I, I don't know if you're like me, but in this COVID season when it began... I actually started to put uh, these expectations on myself and these goals. I'm going to clean out the garage. I'm going to clean out the closet. We're going to have family dinners and game nights. And I'm going to go on runs. And we're going to get the bikes out. And I'm going to read a book a day. And, and uh, it's like this COVID spell just came over me and cleaned out the garage. Check. I went ahead and cleaned out my closet. Check. Um, went on those bike rides. Check. Even had some of those runs. Check. 
Family dinners and games, check. Reading a book a day, no, not a book a day, not even a book a week. Actually, I'm not even through part of a book. Eh, didn't happen. But to make matters worse, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to see this picture of my bookshelf. So many of you have had to move your office space into your house. You're working from home. Uh, so the bedroom isn't just the changing room. It's become my workspace and it's become the workout place and the stretch place and it's become the quiet place. And so I've had to move some of the furniture around and, and here's what I've got. I've got books on one shelf that I walk by when I go to the bed and then on my nightstand I've got this other set of books and it just stares at me when I come to bed and it stares at me when I wake up that I haven't been reading uh, that book. And, and then you've got this comparison thing. So if it's, if it's not bad enough that I'm looking at what I'm not reading, this comparison thing heaped on me where I've got a buddy who's learning a new language in COVID. I've got a neighbor whose yard looks amazing. Didn't, but now it does. And mine's filled with weeds. And and then I've got, uh, on social media, you see the parents are doing some like really cool things with their kids. So those young professionals that have figured out how to do the online game party thing with house party and all that. And, and then I've got this colleague who actually loves to read and has finished all the books in her possession. And a friend actually is bringing another stack of books and she's worked through that. And I'm like, I can't even read one book. And then all of a sudden, it hit me. It was with my daughter. She came and said, hey, Dad, I've been here a month. So she lived in Seattle, thought she ought to come shelter in place with us here at the beginning of this deal. And she said, I've been here about a month, Dad, and, and I just want to get some time with you. And I'm like, oh, my word, time. I mean, I work all day on Zoom, and then we have family dinner, and then we play games, and we do that six days a week, and it's like four hours. I mean, how much more time do you want? And it wasn't the quantity. It was the quality that she was looking at for me and she just gave me a gift because now I had a window where I could pivot away from these expectations that I put on top of myself and get some time back but at the same time leverage time in a way that really connected with her and the other kids. And what I'm learning is, is I put all these false expectations on myself and I allowed the comparisons of others and these unhelpful narratives, these tapes that we play and what it was doing for me, it was robbing me of my strength. And if I wasn't careful, what was happening is, is I would just continue to strive into this and I was knocking myself out and I was actually getting exhausted. Maybe you can relate. And here's what we know, that fatigue actually makes cowards of us all and Here's what happens is we begin looking, we go on a quest, and we're looking for joy, and we just happen to be looking on all the wrong places, and we get exhausted by this joylessness, and here's the good news is that God's actually wired us to want joy. I mean, he wants us to have fullness of joy, and so we go on this quest, and when we don't find it, we get disappointed, and we try all these different sources, but what God actually does is... He gives us joy in Jesus when we meet him and, and we recognize and discover, wow, this person of Jesus actually fills me with the joy that I didn't know actually existed even though I've been on the quest. And then we discover that actually Jesus has been searching for us to give us the very joy that we've been longing for. And so thankfully, then in the midst of false expectations and comparisons and the false narratives that we can tell ourselves, there's actually a different way, a way that doesn't rob us of our strength, but actually gives us the joy. And, and Jesus actually shows that to us. Here's what God says in Nehemiah 
Nehemiah is an Old Testament figure, so thousands of years ago, he's rebuilding some walls in this city and kind of reminds me of our day when we're trying to rebuild some things as we phase in for our city. And here's what he says, God says in that passage, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I mean, here's what Jesus then goes on to say. He actually says in John 10, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. So there's this joy that God wants to give us as our strength, but there's also a thief who wants to come and it's got strategies to steal and kill and destroy. And, and Jesus actually goes on and says, okay, this enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, this thief, it's actually the devil. And the devil, when he lies, he speaks out his own character for he's actually a liar. He's a father of lies. But Jesus said, hey, there's a remedy for this. He says, if you abide in my word or you remain in the things that I say, and the, the Bible has the places where we can go and we can actually find out the things that God says for us, he says, you're truly my disciples. You're truly my followers when you remain in my word. And, and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so what is Jesus saying here? It's kind of like if you want to get familiar with how to identify counterfeit money, it's not that you get familiar with all the counterfeits. It's that you get used to real money so that when there is a counterfeit, you can recognize it really quickly. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if you get into my word and let that get inside of you and you get really familiar with it, it will be the truth that sets you free. And then he goes further. If the Son sets you free, then you'll be free indeed. And Jesus is just so for us to have freedom and not get robbed. He's so for us not to have the, the thief come steal, kill, and destroy. He actually makes this declaration on the heels of a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly, have it to the full. And he, he goes on to say later on that I have spoken these things to you that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. And here's the good news for us today that regardless of our circumstances or other people or things that are going on inside of our own heads, that Jesus wants joy in us. He wants it to the full and he wants it as our strength. That's why he says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, there is a difference between joy and happiness. And I've confused this over the years where happiness actually can change with circumstance, with people, or even how we feel about ourselves. Whereas actually joy, it, it transcends circumstance. It's constant regardless of the circumstance or the behavior of others because it is sourced in God. God is the source of joy and God is constant. Here's what Hebrews tells us about Jesus. He is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. Because he is joy, that joy is constant yesterday, today, and forever. It just transcends these circumstances, the things of other people and the things that I might feel and think about myself. And for a long time, I didn't know the difference between joy and happiness. In fact, here's how it played out with my relationship with my wife, Melissa. We'd become really unhappy with one another. 
So we've been married 25 years, 15 years. I mean, good marriage, but man, it got rocky at times. And, and we just get unhappy and then we'd get frustrated because she sees different things than I see different things. We look at things differently. We do things differently. And we have these expectations of one another that often are entirely unspoken, but certainly they're enforced. And it wasn't until a mentor came to us and said, hey, uh, I want to give you some insight about what's happening inside your marriage. And it's some of the greatest advice we had received, and it was very poignant, and it went like this. Your spouse is not your source. So they went on further and used a metaphor of like pure water and a pump and a reservoir and said this. Here's what you're doing. You're looking for pure, refreshing, clean water, and you're trying to get it from your spouse when God actually hasn't designed you or your spouse to be one another's sources. So what you're doing is you're taking the water pump of your life, you're tossing it into the reservoir of your spouse, and then you're somehow trying to get your needs met out of that transaction, and all you're getting is muddy water at best. Then you're disappointed, and they're disappointed, and everybody's frustrated, and you're bucking heads. What if instead you actually look to God as your source, and then as a pure overflow, you took the refreshing, clean water that you got from God, and you served one another to help and meet their needs? So we began to try this, and I'm like, oh my, this so works, not just for my marriage, but it works for so many other things. It works for situations and circumstances, for relationships, because I realized another person or an ideal situation like a job or a living situation, it can't be my source. I can't look to the disciplines and rhythms of my life as my source, my roommate as my source, my friend base as my source, because God didn't design these things to be my source. Now, the reality is, is they're actually good things. So for instance, spending time with a good friend base, that is a very good thing, but it can't be my source. Or spending time reading God's word, that's a good thing. That practice and rhythm we'd encourage, but the practice and the rhythm is not my source. Holy Spirit is a source that connects us to the source, Jesus. Holy Spirit's like plugging in the pump. Gives me this sense of power for connection. Praying, which is this having a conversation with God where I talk to him and he talks back and I listen and he listens. There's a relational connection that's going on. It allows us to stay connected to the source. We're doing these kinds of things with other people like a worship service when we gather or doing it in your home like this or getting on a Zoom chat what it does is it actually increases the horsepower of the pump. They aren't our source, but it connects us to the source in a greater way. So as we go back to joy, as we, as we go back to God as our joy, God as our source, as opposed to these other places that we can go on our quest, we recognize that God is a strength and, and God is this source of strength and that anything apart from him is actually an imitation. There's an imitation game going on, and, and we are robbed of our strength when we connect into these other sources. And instead of tapping into a false source, God actually wants us to be resilient and have the joy and have the strength so that we can be joy 
bringers, particularly in this season. And so we're in Acts, and we're now at Acts chapter 8. And Acts chapter 8, the beginning of it, gives us this picture of resiliency, of a sense of overflow, and how it brings joy actually to an entire city. Well, Acts chapter 7, we had Stephen who had just been stoned. So you've got this man filled with Holy Spirit who's been serving the community and the religious leaders, including this guy Saul, who actually becomes Paul, didn't like it. They stoned him, threw rocks at him, and took his life. And that's where we pick up in the narrative. So it's going to pop on the screen. I want us to read this together. I'll read it out loud. You can follow along. And it says this, and Saul approved his execution, speaking of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women. He committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, they paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame, they were healed. And here's one of my favorite parts in all of Scripture. So there was much joy in that city. So we read a passage like this and these were devastating times. People are losing their lives. They're being dragged out of their homes. They're being put in prisons and families are being split up and you have to relocate and you can't come back out of fear for your life. And there's something that actually is profoundly happening. There's something extraordinary that's taken place because these aren't normal times. In fact, there's actually a new normal that is happening for these people. As they were scattered, they were actually proclaiming the word of Jesus. And he, Jesus, had told them this would happen back in the beginning of Acts. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said this, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So they're now demonstrating what Jesus had said, the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they're doing the kinds of things that Jesus did with healing. They're saying the kind of powerful things that Jesus is saying, and it's taking root in a people. And, and by the way, Holy Spirit, when he when he uh, comes upon us, he doesn't point to himself. He points to Jesus and to Jesus as source and, and the joy that Jesus brings. And that's actually what is happening. The result for these people is there was great joy in the city, Acts 8.8. 8. There is much joy in that city. So I want to say to us as the church in this Reopening phase one, two, three, four, as this pandemic unfolds. This is our Acts 8 moment, church. 
We have been confined to our houses and now we're phasing back into society. And what if we lived into our city, into our neighborhoods, into our homes and relationships where we live, work, study, and play, and we became joy bringers and we help folks tap into the source that is Jesus? What if we were so sourced in Jesus that his words, his ways, the works of his spirit just overflowed out of our lives like a refreshing fountain? What if Kansas City, known as the city of fountains, what if it actually was known as a city of joy because the church rose up and we actually gave people access to the source Jesus because we were so plugged in? What if I were identified as a fountain of joy? We'll go back to one of the regiments, one of the practices in the season. I've been jogging around my neighborhood slowly, by the way. You might not call it running. I'd call it shuffling. But nonetheless, what I've noticed at the gateway to several of the neighborhoods, there are these fountains. And if it's an extravagant uh, neighborhood, there's an extravagant fountain. And just a shout out to this guy, Daryl Rodrock. It actually said a Daryl Rodrock community. 40 years ago, developers like Daryl planted these communities all over the Kansas City area. And I believe, Daryl, God put it in your heart to have fountains and other developers like you. Fountains for a day like this where we could be reminded that we can go back to the source and we can actually be joy bringers in our city. I want to be one of those extravagant fountains, not because I want people to think I have an extravagant life. I want to have an extravagant fountain and be known like that because we have an extravagant God and there is so much joy to be given, sourced in God, that it is available and I want folks to be drawn to the Jesus in me and say, ah, that is so refreshing. How can I tap into the source that is yours? And I want to say to us in this season, this Acts 8 moment for us as the church, it it is possible. It's actually happening. In fact, we have some prophets among us at Heartland. So you might remember our series with apostle, prophet, evangelist, and shepherd, and teacher. And so our teachers, they just love to anchor in the word, translate it so they can open that up for us. And, and you've got the, the, the shepherds who like to care, and the evangelists just love to tell the story of Jesus and help us to do that well. And the apostles just are starting new things. And, and the prophets, they get close to the heart of God, and, and they love to to pray. And in fact, often they get woken up in the middle of the night because they have this burden for things that are going on. And so there are many prophets among us in our body of Christ and they're healthy people and they are praying and independently God is telling them things and then they're connecting with one another and realizing the similarities and that God is on the move and God is waking them up in the middle of the night and praying, encouraging them to pray in the nudges and he's giving them dreams and visions in the day and he's giving them words and pictures and things are coming together and, and one of the overwhelming themes that is happening is that God is on the move and he's wanting to do something significant in the days ahead, an awakening of sorts where people are going to be aware of Holy Spirit's presence and power. There's going to be a harvest of souls where people want to say yes to Jesus, including his joy, and, and uh, we're going to have greater boldness we've not seen before. Let me say that again. There's going to be a greater boldness like something we've not seen before, and we get to be a part of it. It's not something we can strive into. In fact, we can't make it happen. But we can partner with God for what he wants to do. We can tap into him as our source, stay connected to him, and then as an overflow, like even those early apostles, 
the miraculous things will happen. And when Jesus is lifted up, men and women, children are drawn unto him. The question is, can we be faithful in this season, the season that we've been given? Just like my doctor says, hey, you've got to be faithful over the next two weeks to massage that cartilage in your nose so the scarring goes down. If you can't do it, I'm going to bring my scalpel in to do it. Then my question is, what does faithfulness look like in this season? And it looks like us, as the people of Christ, connecting to Jesus as our source. Or maybe, maybe you're here today listening in and, and you don't know what it is to have the joy in the person of Jesus in your life. Today is the day. You don't have to look anymore. He is looking to you, for you, even in this moment as you hear this spoken. The nudge is in your heart and he is calling you home and said, I know you're exhausted and you're looking for joy and I can give it to you and I can give it to you today. And here's the things that I actually hear and I've said this of myself. Boy, if I could just get back to normal, then I could flourish. If I could just get out of the house because it's so crazy being in all these relationships with my adult kids and by the way, I love them, but you know, we just want our space and we want to get out to what we would think is normal. If I could just get back to the office, if I could just gather again, if I could just go shopping. Then I could have my strength back. Then I would be joyful. And we want to say that joyful, joy, it transcends all that. Jesus gives hope and joy even though things have changed and there's a new normal. And it's not about a change of environment. It's about a change of investment. That's what faithfulness is like. And so, so what if we continued reading the scriptures together as a community. What if we continued to say, come, Holy Spirit? What if we just had joyful prayer? What if faithfulness looks like being a resilient people, remaining strong and having joy and bringing joy as we move into this reopen season? Well, as we've been talking about, I want to encourage us, it can be as simple as come, Holy Spirit. It's a prayer that the ancients have prayed, people have prayed throughout history, and God responds to that kind of prayer. The Father says, he won't withhold if you ask Holy Spirit to come. Maybe today, maybe today it's, I just don't know this Jesus, but as we've been talking this morning, there's just this nudge on your heart or in your head, or you just, you just know that I, I want to invite him into my life. You can do that right here, right now, and just a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? Now, we can sort out what that all means, but it's a significant, simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come, Holy Spirit, Come, Jesus, into my life. We want to encourage, you can plug into the source by reading the scriptures, and we have something real simple here called the journey. I just wanted to point you in that direction. And I'm going to read here what I call a joyful prayer. There's a gal named Stacy Eldridge, wrote a book called Defiant Joy, Taking Hold of Hope and Beauty and Life in a Hurting World. This is pages 168 and 169 in that book. And this prayer I'm about to read, we'll post it up on social media. Uh, but I'm going to pray it out loud for us. And I encourage you to, to pray it along with me. It goes like this. May this be our prayer. Come Holy Spirit. Father, thank you 
I truly have so very much to be thankful for. Thank you for all the many gifts you have given me in my life, including my life itself. Thank you for your endless love for me. Thank you that you had me in mind before you even created the world. What an amazing thought it is. I can barely fathom it. How stunning is your love. God, you are lavish with your love for me and extravagant in your means to me. I pray to have the eyes to see them today, the ones coming to me through your word and through your world. Oh, Father, thank you for sending Jesus in my place. Thank you for including me in Christ. Thank you for including me in his crucifixion and death. Thank you for raising me with him and seating me with him at your right hand. Thank you for granting me his authority and anointing me with the Holy Spirit. I receive it all with thanks and praise. Lord, let my gratitude be deep and real. Help me to turn my gaze to the wonder of you. Establish your love profoundly in Give birth to an untouchable joy based solely upon who you are. You are my glorious king and I am forever yours. I love you. I need you. I trust you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now listen, folks, I don't want this to sound at all religious or churchy, but, but what if, as a community, this week, we just took as a rhythm, come Holy Spirit, we read out of Acts, and we prayed a prayer like this. By the way, it doesn't have to look like that. It can look like anything. My son came home from work yesterday as a part of a central worker. He works from 7 until 3.30. And we said, hey, we're going to go on a guy's bike ride. And he said, hey, can you give me 20 minutes? I had a long day, and I want to go spend time in the presence of the Lord. For him, that's what it looked like to tap into the source. At times, for me, I put my worship music on, and I go for an extended walk, and I have conversation with God. I have a friend that actually sits down at his desk, and he kind of opens the Bible, and he writes some things down. But, but what if you as a single with a roommate or you as a friend with your friend group or you as a parent with your kids over dinner? Well, what if three times this week you actually after a meal just said, come Holy Spirit, one of you prayed that. And then maybe one of you read the Acts passage and then you had a little conversation. Don't have to have the answers. And then you, you took this prayer that I just read and one of you prayed it. The win is that we do it. We're tapping into the source. By the way, it can look like anything. I just want to give you an example because the formula is not the source. Connecting with the source, Jesus, that's what God has for us. So I came across this video back in the 80s, and I want to show you something that gives a picture about joy coming into a city. 
So back in the back in the 80s, there was a gentleman named Mark Zook, and he um, wanted to be a missionary to the far remote places of the earth. It reminds me of Acts 1:8. You'll be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. And he got rejected by a mission board. They said, "Hey, you're not missionary material." And his wife, the friend, said, "Hey, don't do that to your kids." But they just had this compulsion that they need to go to the furthest out and say, "We've got to bring the good news and the joy of Jesus to these people." And so for years, they they set up in a village. They had to clear it to get a plane in. And then they made friends with the people. And then they learned their language and their culture and their customs. And then they documented an unwritten language. And then they translated some of the Bible so they could read it. And then they actually taught the people how to read. So you can imagine the years of what this took. And finally it culminated in a place where they could actually tell the story from Genesis to Jesus. And over six months, they tell this tribe of people about the good news of Jesus. And they traveled through the bad news and the good news and then the breakthrough. And it happened for these people. There was elders in this village, the grandmother, the grandfather. On a particular day, they said, we believe in this Jesus that he has rescued from our sins. And the result was this spontaneous outbreak of joy that lasted for two and a half hours. Take a look at what it can look like from Acts, joy came to the whole city. What joy can look like in an entire village. What it could look like in Kansas City for joy to break out when Jesus is our source. Take a look. So maybe today, church, maybe today, like me this week, you recognize that there's things that are just robbing you of strength and joy. Maybe you say, I I just need that joy. And today is a first time to say, Jesus, I just, I want you in my life and I want that kind of joy. Well, today you can just say, Jesus, Come into my life. But maybe you know Jesus and you just kind of drifted. Could be the season, could be the season of life, and you've just forgotten. And you could say like David, King David in the Psalms, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation, that you've rescued me, just like we saw from these folks in the video. Well, Holy Spirit actually brings joy and can remind you and If that's where you are right now, I'd encourage you, stand up, have the courage right here, right now, and say, Holy Spirit, come. Fill me with your joy. We had in an earlier service where I got stories of a a young child just saying, Holy Spirit, come. Would you like a child, even now, in a childlike way, just say, Holy Spirit, come. Fill me with joy. You don't have to understand it, but God honors your requests. Holy Spirit, come. So if you have additional questions or you want to connect, we have a place you can go. It's called our Connect Rooms. If you want to plug in this week, we just encourage you, we'll put that prayer on social. You can get into the journey. It's a click away on our site. Look for the journey or on our app, and it'll help you just continue to read with us. May God fill our community with his spirit and with his joy. And may we be found in the days ahead as we move into this reopening phase that we could be joy bringers in a community because we have the resilient strength of God as our source. 
Heartland, have a great week. Look forward to seeing you again.